finding team members is probably the most important thing. And it takes the most amount of time. You know, when people talk about passive income and like all the work is up front and then it's passive, like finding the team is that when you're doing out of state investing, it's the most amount of work. Finding deals, I could show you 50 deals on the MLS in an hour and a half, but you're not going to be able to do them because you don't have the right contractor. You don't have the right property manager or project manager. You don't have the right person who could rent it out and you don't have the right data. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Penn, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Antoine Martel. Antoine is an investor from the Bay Area who now lives in Los Angeles and runs a large turnkey operation based in Memphis, Tennessee. In this episode, Antoine will tell us how to create our own turnkey operation as well as the challenges involved with it. So if you want to learn how to invest out of state with scale, then you need to listen to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, Contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Antoine, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show today. My name is Anton Martel. I'm a real estate investor, 25 years old. been investing in real estate for... About five years now, six years now, actually, since I was 19 years old. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area before I transferred down to LA to go to university to finish up university. My brother took me and my dad to a real estate investing seminar where we learned about flipping houses. And through that seminar, we kind of saw like how other people were doing deals, how they were finding those deals, funding those deals, how many offers they were placing, just about the real estate flipping game. And it was super interesting to me. And, you know, after that, when I was 19 to kind of 21, I just like couldn't get real estate out of my head. I started going to networking events, networking with a ton of different people who were having success with real estate, who were doing a much many different types of investing, right? So flipping houses, turnkey, wholesaling, apartment buildings, all that kind of stuff. And I tried all of those things over that two-year period and nothing ever worked. Tried wholesaling, tried flipping houses, all that kind of stuff, and nothing ever was successful. And so what I ended up doing, you know, my dad went back to his full-time job. My brother went and became a realtor in the Bay Area and they did that. And then I was like, I need to figure out this real estate investing thing before I graduate. I want to do this when I graduate. I don't want to like go and get a job and work for somebody else. So what I did was, again, through that networking, I kind of heard about this out-of-state real estate thing and that people were having success flipping houses or buying rentals or this burst strategy that was happening out of state. And so I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. And kind of my last year at university, then I started like building a list of markets out of state, started figuring out which markets were best for what I was trying to do, which markets were great within my budget, which I didn't have any money, but my dad had like 40 grand saved up and he wanted to invest in real estate and wanted to do it with, you know, for the family and kind of start growing a family portfolio. And so I was like, all right, my budget's 40 grand. I got to find a place where I can buy a house and rehab it, you know, for $40,000. And where the hell can you do that? And so started looking at markets, found a list of markets. Memphis, Tennessee was at the top of the list. So I just I was like, all right, next thing is just start building a team in Memphis. 
started cold calling realtors, brokers, agents, everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, until I found somebody that knew what they were talking about. And then my last semester, I bought a house for like 35,000 bucks while I was still in university, renovated it for 5,000 bucks. And then I did a cash out refinance after that for properties worth like 55,000 or $60,000 after. So I was able to pull my money out, give dad his money back. And then I was like, all right, I can keep doing this after I graduate. Do you want me to keep on doing this? I can keep growing this family portfolio. We have a team down, we're ready to go. And he agreed to it. So slowly after, well, not slowly, but after I graduated, So May, we had like probably two or three properties by that point when I graduated. And then by December, we had like 10 homes, eight homes in Memphis, Tennessee. They were all cash flowing that we had successfully bird. After that, which that was in 2017, 2018, people started reaching out to us now to invest in real estate and get started and wanted to invest out of state because we're in California. And we were like, okay, well, we can help you get started. We can actually sell you some properties we have in our portfolio that we haven't refinanced yet. So instead of doing the normal Burr strategy where we would refinance it, we would instead just sell it instead of refining. That's what we ended up doing. And that started kind of the turnkey business for us. So then our process became buy a house, rehab it, rent it out, put a property management company in place, and then sell it turnkey. And so we've kind of scaled that business up. And that's been our main business for the last couple of years. And now we're doing a little over 10 homes a month. So last year we did 85 homes. This year we'll do probably a 120. That's amazing. That's a great story too. By the way, you started at a super, super young age, 19 years old, and you're based in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, Bay Area. Well, so I grew up in San Mateo and then now I live in Los Angeles. That's cool. I think we have very similar stories. So I don't know if you know this, but this is like a kind of a Bay Area real estate centric podcast. Um, I've been based in the South Bay. I went to LA for school as well. I went to UCLA for my undergrad degree. Yeah. And then uh, moved back up a couple of years ago and I was like, 26 or so when I actually got into real estate. So a little bit older than where you are now. And, you know, I wish I started at 19. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. And similar to you, I guess we have kind of like opposite stories. So I started my investing career by investing out of state. And then after getting, you know, some cash flow and rentals, I thought these numbers are kind of small. I went back yeah. to the Bay Area to start flipping houses. You know, you start making hundreds of thousands of dollars from flipping houses. You think, all right, forget these rentals out of state. They're whatever. Yeah. But then when you have market corrections, like what we're having, recently, you realize, oh, like the stability of these out-of-state rentals are actually pretty great. Yep. You know, you you struggled, right? You went two years without finding anything, but you continued and you persevered until now you have this very booming business. And I want to ask you, like, how did you choose Memphis out of all the cities out there in the United States? Yeah. So again, listening to a boatload of podcasts about real estate investing and how people had success out-of-state and like, listening to what they were looking for in those markets. So population growth, job growth, major employers, who are those major employers, the diversity of the workforce, certain things like crime, the median house price compared to the median rent. So like looking at the rent to value ratios and and looking at all the metrics and economics, looking at the economic development committees of those places too. So like, are they giving incentives for companies to move there? Are they giving you know tax credits and helping companies actually move there and find space and helping them build and do that kind of thing? And so Memphis kind of checked all those boxes and it was kind of like off the radar for a lot of people, I think, a couple of years ago. Maybe it started to heat up now. I don't know because I'm in the weeds all the time. But you know, like a couple of years ago, it was like there wasn't much population growth, not much job growth. It was kind of just like a flat city. And so I was like, okay, this is great. But they had all these plans that you really had to dig to like find the plans and like what they're trying to do in Memphis. 
And so I started digging up those plans. And then that's kind of what got me excited was the plans and what they had in the works that was coming to that market. And so those are the things that I found in Memphis. And I literally just made like an Excel spreadsheet with just like the top 100 markets. And you can get a lot of that information. It's all public through Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS.gov. And so just going through all that data mining and looking at all that different information and then putting it on that chart, it was able to kind of easily graph which market would be best for me. Yeah. So after looking at all those different metrics, you found that Memphis was the one that hit pretty much all of them. I know there's a big, you know, famous turnkey company, Memphis Invest. Have you had any interactions with that company? Yeah, I actually have uh, them on my podcast next week. Oh, cool. Yeah, I see uh, Chris a lot on the, um, you know, the different uh, conferences we go to. And yeah, yeah. Kent has his conference in San Diego once a year, uh, usually in June, but not now. Yeah, Kent's coming on the podcast next week. They actually rebranded now. They're not even called Memphis Invest anymore. I think they call it Real Estate Worldwide or is that... Maybe that's Ken's company, but there's another one too. That's Ken's company. And then they also are, let's see, they changed their entire website. They are now called REI Nation. That's what they're called now. Yeah, because they open up to many different markets. Yeah, because they're in many different markets, so they kind of rebrand it. But yeah, they're good. They do a lot of deals in Memphis still to this day. We haven't had much like business interaction with them quite yet. We actually started in Memphis, started doing single family homes there. And then I went to Cleveland and started doing it the same. And I was running both of them. And then what happened was in Memphis, we started getting these apartment building deals sent to us. And we had the cash and we were buying all these homes every month. But I was like, man, if I can just buy you know one property instead of 10 single family homes, I'd rather do that. And so these buildings started coming to us. And I was like, okay, this is way easier. And they were coming in Memphis only, so not in Cleveland. So we kind of like pivoted in Memphis from the single family turnkeys to actually apartments. And so last year we bought like a hundred apartment units in Memphis and then just did the single family turnkey stuff in Cleveland. So there was kind of a, a little switch and a little pivot just because of the kinds of deals we were getting sent to us in Memphis, Tennessee. That's awesome. So are your apartment buildings like part of a buy and hold strategy or are you also turnkeying those as well? So right now, we are just doing them as a buy and hold kind of legacy family asset. And we started to bring in investors into those deals too, just as like joint venture partners, but no like syndication or anything. So yeah, they're long-term holds for us. Selling them turnkey, I've thought about it and maybe I'll try it with, we have the smallest building we have is an 11 unit. And so I'd probably like try it with that and like see if people bite because it is still a big investment. Like it'd be like one and a half million bucks we'd sell it for. And so, you know, you have to come in with hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to buy it. Whereas like our turnkeys, the single family homes, you can buy one of them with 20 grand, right? So it's a huge level up, you know? Yeah, I'm guessing the rest of your family is still up here in Northern California. You're here or you're down there in Los Angeles. Do you have any boots on the ground in Memphis or is it all kind of just like a, a team that you hire? No. So it's all boots on the ground for both markets that we have. So in Cleveland, we have probably like nine crews. And then I have a project manager who manages those nine crews. And then in Memphis, I have two or three different, mostly two crews. And then kind of I'm doing the project management so far since we've been working with those guys so much. And the apartments are actually pretty easy because I literally just tell them, hey, this unit's vacant, go and do it. And they know exactly what to do. But we have property management companies in both markets, all third party. So they help us a lot. And, you know, we're very well integrated with them as well and try to get integrated to their systems and processes. Yeah, but no like family members or friends who live in those areas. Nope. Started with nobody in those areas that I knew or knew anything about the market. So all the research was done just from this computer or from leveraging people and relationships on the ground that I had was just from learning from other people on the ground. And they're like 30 years of experience, you know? Yeah. 
That's crazy. Do you want to talk about how you are finding your team members? Like imagine you started from scratch. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago where you started this business. So walk us through that process. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, finding team members is probably the most important thing. And it takes the most amount of time. You know, when people talk, talk about passive income and like all the work is up front and then it's passive, like finding the team is that when you're doing out of state investing, it's the most amount of work. Finding deals, I could show you 50 deals on the MLS, to, you know, in an hour and a half, but you're not going to be able to do them because you don't have the right contractor. You don't have the right property manager or project manager. You don't have the right person who could rent it out and you don't have the right data. So like you have to go and like build that team on the ground. How I did it was just calling cold calling property managers and realtors. And so if I were to do it again, the best way to do it would probably just be to cold call all the property management companies, explain to them what I'm trying to do, how much money I have, and then what I'm looking for and seeing if they can help me out with finding deals that I can buy and rehab so that they can rent them out for me and they can you know add properties to their portfolio. Most property management companies have like agents that work under them that like scrape the MLS or like they're trying to help their clients like buy more properties. So that would be the easiest way to go about it is just to leverage a relationship with the property management company. Also, a lot of them have like contractors who do like little repairs on properties too. So you can go and buy something. You can either buy something turnkey and then use the turnkey company's property manager, or you can go directly probably to a property management company and see if they can stir up some deals and have one of their contractors do it. It's not going to be, you know, there may be a lot more surprises with that route, but that's probably how I would do it if I were to start again would probably just to be like, build that relationship as best you can with that property management company. And you can kind of like scale together. And so it's like kind of finding the right property management company that fits what you're trying to do. So let's say you call 10 property management companies that you find on Google or maybe even on bigger pockets. How do you vet them and how do you decide on the one guy that you're going to work with for this business? For me, it was very clear. I would call, yeah, 10 to 20 people on Google. And then half of them are going to answer. So half of them are gone already. Then out of that, half of them are just not interested. So then you're left with like two or three people. And then one of those people is like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we actually have Billy who can send you deals. We have a contractor ready to go. And then once that's done, then we can manage the properties for you. So like, it should be very clear. I've never had it in any market where I've been like, there's like five different options to choose from. It's going to be very, very bleak, the amount of options that you have available for what you're trying to do. What I did also was, was even like book a trip through 30 days in advance and then schedule a, and I was there for like a full week, Monday through Friday. And every day I would meet a new property management company. That's another interesting way to do it as well. You can actually like see their office. You can drive around properties and do things like that. Yeah. It was very clear to me. I think if people go through that exercise, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll see what I'm talking about. It just like, it's blatantly obvious which company you should be working for. And then like about vetting them, man, it's hard. So I would just start your first project and make it a project that, you know, is very light and very small. So don't go into like a full gut job on your first project with a new team and new crew, right? So my first project was a $5,000 renovation. I would start there. Just do a normal cleanup job, a super easy light rehab and see if they can handle that. They can handle that great and stick to the timeline and stick to the budget. Then, okay, great. Let's try a little bit bigger, try a little bit bigger, right? So because there's no way like you can ask for referrals and do that all kind of thing. But I mean, like I only send referrals to the guys that I know are going to say good things, right? So you can do that all you want. You can look up reviews online with property management companies. They're completely useless as well because it's just tenants that got evicted that leave bad reviews. So it's kind of useless to look at those. So it's really just about like trusting them on the phone. Or if you want to go out there, if that's going to make you feel more comfortable, go ahead, by all means, do it. 
But at the end of the day, it's whoever just, you know, sees the money in you and, you know, sees the value in you helping them grow their business as well. So for me, at the end of the day, it was really somebody who wanted to partner up more than me just give them houses to manage. I was looking for like a long-term relationship with somebody. Did you kind of tell them your vision from the beginning that you're trying to start this, you know, big portfolio empire here in Memphis? Yep, exactly. And so it was kind of like, hey, my name is Anton Martel. I'm a real estate investor in California. I'm looking to buy a house a month and I'm looking to buy it, rehab it, and then refinance it. You know, I'm looking for these areas and I have this lender already lined up. So, right, like it's like, oh, this guy did his research, right? They're not just coming to me leeching information, but I know we can find properties on the MLS, but do you have anybody that can maybe make an MLS drip for me? Okay, cool, great. And then once we find those, do you have anybody who can maybe do the renovation before you start managing them? I want you guys to handle the renovation because you guys are going to manage it thereafter. So you'll have a record of what was done. So that's kind of how the conversation would start. And then if they had a realtor on board and had that contractor and all that kind of stuff, and then they actually start sending you deals. So people will say, oh yeah, sure. We'll start sending you deals. And then, you know, three days later they send nothing. Well, you know, they're off the list as well. So yeah, it was blatantly obvious at the end of the day who I had to pretty much work for or work with. Yeah. I have a very similar experience. I call a lot of different property management groups and only one really seemed you know, good, very competent. And similar with what my my girlfriend recently bought some properties over in Texas, and we have no boots on the ground team there as well. So we have to do all of our research from scratch again, too. So very similarly, we call a lot of different property management companies and a lot of them suck, you know, <laughs> they're just not easy people to work with. Yep, I agree. So usually filter down your list to like one or two people, and then you start working with them and just see how they are. Yeah. And you can even test too. And like, yeah, there's no risk to it. I wouldn't have them find out, but uh, but yeah, because some property management companies have said, okay, yeah, we're willing to do this if you don't work with anybody else. And I was like, okay, I understand, you know, that you don't want to waste your time if the growth isn't there, which makes sense. So, and so I've done that as well. I've never tested two at the same time. I've only ever tested one, but yeah, eventually you just got to take the risk. I mean, it is investing, right? So there is some risk to it. Yeah. And when you sell off the properties, are you giving them to your current property management company? Or do you have like several companies that you work with for property management? No. So for per market, we have one property management company we work with just to keep it super easy for us. And then we're very well integrated. So when we sell our turnkeys, yeah, those clients get to use that property management company. We also give them a lender. We also give them an insurance company. And then they're also sold with tenants in place already fully renovated as well. Mm -hmm. And what about your deal source? How are you finding your leads? Yeah. So when we started, it was mostly MLS like a year and a half ago. And then now we've kind of transitioned to probably 50% MLS. And then we also use wholesalers for the other 25%. And then the other 25% would be kind of off market listings from like pocket listings from realtors. And so that's kind of how we've been getting deals. We also started wholesaling and just like market doing our own marketing to find deals. And so I started a wholesaling company with one of my friends from college, who's my roommate as well. And I taught him about wholesaling and him and his developer friend kind of made a system that texts and cold calls and does all this kind of stuff to find off-market deals. And so we've been using that. And also that company is called Rocket Offer. And so we'll buy most of their deals, but then the deals that we don't buy for whatever reason, lack of capital or whatever, they're wholesaling it off to other to other investors who, who want to go ahead and move forward on those. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing in terms of financing the properties when you're acquiring them? Are you just paying them with all cash or using hard money or some kind of combination of the two? We use our own money. I've never used hard money. Our own money. And then we use private investors funds. So 
at the beginning, we started really with our own money, like I said, the 40,000 bucks. And then like that money got, you know, we spent all that money very quickly. And then I was like, okay, how do I scale this up? Now I have like the people that want to buy this at the end. So how do I buy it, rehab it, rent it out, and then sell it? And I want to do this at like scale. I need more capital. So I started raising money from private investors. And so either they would fund like a joint venture or they would lend us. So they would fund it like a joint venture and like split the profits with us, or they would lend us the money as well at a 12% interest rate. So those are the two ways that we've kind of, we're able to scale up and start doing more and more projects. It seems like everything is pretty systematized right now. You have your deals coming in through your various different sources. You have financing coming through your different lenders, what would you say is the most difficult part of your whole operation right now? Right now, probably just the sales side due to COVID. Just a lot of people are just scared or just on the fence or on the sidelines. So hopefully this whole thing blows over and then we're able to kind of get through this and people are going to just be, because people think that, you know, the the real estate market's going to crash. Personally, I don't think so. Not in these markets that we're investing in, especially at this price point. But a lot of people are just like, it it makes sense, right? Like, oh, okay, I'm not going to, I want to invest in real estate this year. Okay. But you know, I can wait another month or two. Like they're not like pressured in or you feel like they're forced, like they have to buy now because the prices haven't gone down yet. Right. So I think just right now, like we're just stacking up inventory and people are still buying from us, but it's just way less demand. Of course, makes sense than three months ago. So that's just probably one of the biggest things right now that we're just kind of working on and how can we just um, make people feel comfortable, like to our knowledge that, you know, we don't think that anything bad is going to happen to the real estate market in these neighborhoods. Rent, we're still collecting 95 to 100% of rent. There hasn't been any drop in collections. Property values have stayed the same or have gone up over the last couple of months. They haven't gone down like many people are anticipating, especially for this price point. So it's just a lot of things we're working on. And we're like trying to collect this data and share this data so that people can like feel comfortable to to invest again and start buying turnkeys again. Yeah. There are a lot of people who lost some money during, like in the stocks during the couple, first couple of weeks of this whole COVID-19 crisis. And then they're like, okay, well, I want to wait for it to recover before I start buying some properties. Yeah, And, you know, I guess some lenders also are more strict. So maybe they're worried about that too. But you're right. Like, uh, I think the biggest thing is the fear, especially when you see things in the news, like people aren't paying their rent and, you know, that's the whole business model. Yeah. And you can't evict or like things like that too. I mean, yeah, I understand, but there's also a lot of like headline readers too. So like they'll read the headline. Oh, you can't evict. Well, did you know it's only for this kind of loan type? And then FHA, like, oh, they changed the guidelines for loans or whatever. It was only for FHA. Like Fannie Mae didn't change at all. They just increased the credit score thing for FHA loans, which you're not getting when you're buying a turnkey. So yeah, it's just a lot of people are just like reading the headlines. Oh, okay. I'm just going to wait then. But you know, if you dive into it, there hasn't been really much of a change for us that we've seen personally. You read it all online, but we haven't seen it affect us in any way. And also like when we sell our turnkeys too, the tenants are moving in like a week or two before we sell it, right? So they're moving in during the middle of this entire pandemic. So they must have a stable job. They must have pay stubs. They must have cash in the bank. And then they have to pay their first month's rent, deposit, and they have to do all the move-in fees. So they have a lot of cash that they're spending on. Moving in and moving is not cheap. For somebody to do that and then also have a stable job during this whole virus going on, they have a very stable job and very stable income, even during an entire pandemic where mostly we rent to blue collar workers. These people still have their jobs. And so that's kind of what I've been screaming to you know my clients is just like these people that are moving in, you know, you're not going to have an issue with. 
they have all this capital, they have the stable jobs. Like it's only, I think the virus is just going to get better from here and things are going to slowly start to go away. Also, these markets have already opened up. So Ohio opened up May 1st, Tennessee opened up May 1st. So they've been open for almost a month already, right? So here in California, yeah, we may still be on lockdown, slowly opening. These places are open back and running as normal. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And plus, even if you can't sell the properties, aren't they generating you know, positive cash flow for you guys while you're holding it? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And that's what, that's always our backdrop too. like, okay, if we can't sell the properties, then we're, we're fine with holding it They're you know, eight, nine, 10% cap rates. So we're still making a good return on our money from the properties. Even if we don't have the buyers, it would be a big pivot for us, you know? So right now we have like 32 projects going on. And so, you know, for holding like 32 homes and not buying and not selling, then there's going to have to be a discussion and it's, it'll be a huge pivot if we have to start start doing that. Also, the thing that sucks about that too is that a lot of those lenders who we had like, because that's kind of a plan B action for us is if we can't sell, all right, we'll go to a big portfolio lender and get a portfolio loan. Many of those guys are closed up shop right now. They're not even lending. I spoke to Lima One, Vizio Lending over the last couple of days and both of them are, nope. We're out of business. <laughs> we're out of business and we have no plan to return. We'll let you know when we're coming back. So they're they're kind of all offline right now, which which sucks. Yeah, I understand that completely. And especially because you have private lenders, right? And they're expecting a return or a return of the capital within maybe, I don't know, three months or so. And if you can't do that, then they don't get very happy. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of conversations. So like when this first started, we had a lot of conversations. I personally emailed, personally phone called all the investors and said, hey, I know you have invested with us, but we're fine. We'll relax. Are your project is still set to close or like construction is still moving forward? Your deal is still moving forward. Maybe some delays due to long Home Depot lines and social distancing, but you know, we're still on track. And so I emailed, you know, reached out to everybody like you have to. The response was very good. And I was like, you know, we, I know we promised, I didn't say this to anybody yet, but like we were just thinking about it behind the scenes. Like, you know, we have so many different options. It could be, them, you know, if, if somebody has a loan a 12% for us, you know, they can take over the property, we can pay them 6% or we can pay them no interest for this period of time and make it up when we sell it. Like there's a lot of different options that we can play, which is why I like not using hard money because I can't have that conversation with the hard money lender. I don't think so, at least. Maybe in this like extreme situation, you might be able to like get something out of them. But like I'd much rather talk to Bill and Susie and Renee about it than go and talk to the hard money lender guy who's going to, you know, want me to pay extra interest on top of it because I'm delaying my payments and do certain things like that. They're just much easier to work with private investors who already know and trust you than to work with like a business. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And what was your strategy in terms of selling the turnkey properties? The turnkey properties for selling them, like how am I getting clients and stuff? Mm -hmm. So a whole lot of marketing everywhere podcasting, Instagram. I built a pretty good following on Instagram, posting there every day, LinkedIn, Facebook, bigger pockets, and then in-person events too. So not just social media, but doing presentations, giving talks, going to meetup events, bigger pockets events, actually in person. And so those people and like building up clients that are actually going to buy your product is very difficult, especially because it's such a big purchase, right? So it's like, People only buy a one house or two homes max in their lifetime, right? And the home is the biggest purchase they're ever going to make. And now you're trying to sell 10 of them a month. It's kind of like a, a silly business model, but it's almost like a car dealership kind of thing. So yeah, it's been a challenge. The great thing about us though, is that we've 
like try to protect our brand a lot and like really stick to our brand and like really treat each and every customer like they're our family. So our retention rate and like our comeback rate and repurchase rate is probably like 80%. So like 80% of our new clients come from referrals, which is great. So like even just word of mouth and then people coming back and buying more and just like keeping them in a conversation with us has really helped and saved money on marketing costs because you can spend all money all day long to get your brand out there. But if you're not retaining those people, I think that's much less expensive and way more important. What is like your average client profile? Because when I think about buying real estate, I always think about it in terms of what you did, where you, you know, you buy it yourself, you rehab it yourself, and then you rent it out yourself. Whereas a turnkey model is more like, oh, everything's done for me, but I pay a premium on that. So I want to know like, who is that, that person who doesn't mind paying the premium for the convenience? Yeah. So the premium question is a good question too, because a lot of people think that they are paying a premium. We sell all of our properties for their appraised value. So they're actually paying like fair market value for the homes. And then our like turnkey fee or how we make money is just in the profit. So I'll go buy a house for 30, 40 grand, renovate it for 30, 40, 20 grand, and then sell it for 80, 90 grand. And then the property is going to appraise for whatever they buy it for. And then if it doesn't, we'll drop the price down to whatever it appraises for. And so we make our money on that spread. So they are still paying fair market value on them. They're like, they got a good deal. Like they're not getting ripped off and like not overspending or overbuying. Right. So that's big thing for me is just making sure that they feel like they're buying something for a fair price. And the appraisal is like our gauge of that. So the client profile for these kinds of things is people who want to invest in real estate, but don't have the time. So they may have a full-time job, you know, they may have kids or they may have, you know, yeah, they're working the whole day, then they have to come home and then they have to take care of the kids and the dog and the wife and that kind of thing. And so it's people that have money saved up, have a good full-time job, but they're way too busy to do the research, do the homework. They can't travel to these markets because they can't stay that far long away from their job or whatever they have to do. So most of these people, again, work full-time, 20 grand or more saved up want to get in real estate, but don't really know how because they're slammed on time. So many of these people just lack the time that's needed to do what I did, right? Many of them could do it. It's just like they have all these other obligations and they have to go to work because they have to pay for the house that they own um, and pay for their kids to go to school and to eat. So many of them, again, are like 35 to 45, maybe 30 to 45 full-time jobs, have families, and then you know need to stay in their location, can't really travel all that much and have 20 grand or more that they want to invest and they just don't know how. And then we're, we're kind of an easy dip in the real estate investing world for them. And you say 20 grand or more because you're assuming they put like 20% down for the loan? Yep. So they'll put in, for example, $80,000. They'll buy a house, they'll put 20% down, 16000 and then a couple thousand dollars in closing costs. So yeah, all and then all in for like, yeah, right around $20,000 to buy one of those properties. And what kind of rents can they expect for like an $80,000 turnkey property? 900 to $950 a month. Yeah, that's really solid numbers. Very comparable to what I have as well. Yeah, so they all beat the 1% rule. We sell them for like normally 8 or 9% cap rates. And then we try to get 15% cash on cash return without holdbacks. So with holdbacks like vacancy and maintenance, you're you know, around 12, 11% cash on cash. Yeah. Let's talk about starting a turnkey company from scratch, just kind of as a, like a recap. I'm going to talk about it and you can stop me where you think that these parts are more critical. So in the very beginning, you know, you're interested. Number one step is to determine the location that you want to buy in. So you're going to make this giant spreadsheet like you made of job growth, population growth, 
places where the city has interest in development. You know, it's going to be nicer over time. You pick your city, number one. The number two, and probably most important, is you got to find your team. So cold calling a bunch of property management companies is probably your best bet because they're going to have access to the great agents and maybe wholesalers and contractors. And I think you need to put a lot of emphasis on that one. And then maybe like after you find your right property management team to work with, do a deal with them, buy a house, maybe off the MLS. It doesn't really matter, right? You want to just get your feet wet. Yep. What's next? Yeah. So after you test it, then it becomes the whole thing about marketing that thing for sale, which is where it gets like, there's a lot of challenges here. So then you have to like, first of all, nobody wants to be the first person to buy something from a turnkey company, right? So then it's like, how do you sell that? How do you market that property? And how do people know that this is like a trusted and vetted system? So the way that we did it is that I started by buying 10 homes for my family. So I had already done it. And I said, Oh, yeah, I'm a real estate investor. Oh, do you invest there too? Yeah, we have 10 houses, but we're selling one out of our portfolio. So it was less like me starting a turnkey company. Instead, it was me like helping friends and family and people close to me like invest in real estate by selling them something that we already owned. And we were like, oh yeah, cash flow is great. Tenant pays rent every month. So like we knew a lot of information about these houses, which helped me sell it. And so I started by making a janky little WordPress website called Martel Family Realty. And it was a place where like, we just took a bunch of like friends and people that we were talking to, friends and family members and like their emails and just sent them the link to the website. Hey, if you guys are looking to invest in real estate, go check out our site, blah, blah, blah. We have proper, a couple homes we're trying to sell out of our portfolio if you want to get started. And so that's kind of how it all started. So the first couple of homes were sold to people very close to us. And then after I saw that traction, I was like, oh my, wow, this is actually something that people want. And those people you know, have a full-time job and live in San Francisco where everything is super expensive. So they want, they need to invest out of state because they only have 40 grand saved up that they want to invest with and they don't really want the stock market. And so I was like, wow, there's something bigger here that we just need to, to scale it and just, you know, increase our audience. So then building a website, listing properties for sale, and then just having, creating like a sales process as well. Because you're also going to need to connect those buyers with lender and insurance company and then create a process for onboarding them onto the property management company. So there's a lot of things on the sales process to make it like an enjoyable experience as much as you can. And so yeah, that would be it. And then after you have that whole entire process done, then the challenge is going to be the scaling part. Because raising capital is a whole nother ball game about raising capital for those projects because most people don't have a million bucks so they can just go and do like, you know, 100 projects at a time, right? So then raising money to do properties at scale because if you just have like two sold properties and one available home on the website, it's not going to be a very good website. So it needs to have some scale to it so that people can see like all the different transactions and your website's constantly like, we're doing 10 a month, right? So like every week, there's like two properties being removed and two properties being added to the website. So there's like people literally like track our website and have it in their favorites and they go refresh every couple of days to see what we have available. So it's almost like it's become an eBay of turnkey rental properties. Wow, that's really cool. And hopefully we can create something like that in the future too. Thanks for giving us that inspiration to uh, to try something new. Because not gonna lie, like up here in the Bay Area, I mean, you know, because you try for two years, but it's very hard to find deals. Impossible. There are people out here who are obviously killing it, right? We have some friends. I've had some people on my podcast easily doing over seven figures a year and maybe only doing like 10 deals for the whole year. But, you know, it's a different story. But it's like finding a diamond in the rough, right? But I feel like in the other markets, especially out of state, you know, there's there are a lot of deals out there. 
and you're able to buy properties for 20,000, 30,000, put in 20K and then sell it for 90. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Like you can even just look at the numbers. Like we probably submit five offers to get one under contract. So the one that we buy. So like we're at a one to five ratio. The guys in the Bay Area, I mean, they're submitting probably like 30, 40 offers to get one. So way more time. And like 10 projects to me would be so like boring. So like going from 10 houses a month to doing 10 houses a year, it would be a huge change for me too. Like, I don't even know if I, the money would be good, and but it's so much like time on the front end, like acquisitions is way more timely than what we have. I mean, we like, especially the off-market deals from realtors, like they send us the numbers of exactly what the buyer is going to take. They send us the rehab, like what rehab numbers they think it's going to be. And so we just go off their numbers and we, you know, the deals are just coming to us flowing every single day. And so, yeah, it would be, I don't know. It'd be a, it's a lot of work in the Bay Area and LA and California in general to just like f- get a deal under contract. It takes a lot of time. And I think a lot of people underestimate that too. And super disheartening too, because you can't even get to the rehab stage or the selling stage, right? Much less the profit stage until you get a deal in the first place. And here in the Bay Area, it takes around $18,000 to $20,000 per lead or per like contract for if you're doing direct mail. So yeah. Yeah. I know a couple of wholesalers down here in LA and they were spending 25 grand to get one house under contract. We started a wholesaling company and we spend, let's just say a thousand dollars to get one deal under contract. That's nuts. 20th of the price. Yeah. Yeah. And of course with that, you get more experience as well with, you know, if you're going to talk to them and building rapport and whatnot. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Well, cool. Antoine, I think this was really, really helpful. Uh, do you have any last tips for our listeners before we finish our show today? Yeah, the last thing that I would say is just a lot of people don't get started. And so I think that, you know, when I started, I wanted to be a big multifamily investor and have uh, 10,000 units, but I ended up buying a $35,000 home in in Memphis, Tennessee. And I didn't know how to connect the dots from a single family home in Memphis to 10,000 units in across the US. But I knew that I had to get started. And I think that that's the challenge with a lot of people is they have these big goals and dreams about what they want to do, but they never like take the first step. And so what I recommend a lot of people do is write down all your resources. So how much money do you have? How much time do you have? Who do you know? And then what are those people doing? Or who do you know? And how much money do those people have? And are they looking to invest in real estate? Then I would look at all the different real estate investment strategies and like just learn from like a macro sense, like what they are. So wholesaling, turnkey, flipping, apartment buildings, mobile home parks, whatever it may be. And just like try to match up which strategy makes the most amount of sense to start today. Should I start with does turnkey fit all my boxes? Does wholesaling, does flipping, like which one of those strategies is going to be the easiest and the low hanging fruit to start today? And trust me, one of those strategies, even if it is wholesaling, it can lead into much bigger things than it's going to because now you're in the game. Now you're going to be able to talk and get on podcasts with other people. You're going to be able to go to networking events and have something to say and have input. And you'll be learning about, you know, different ways to find deals, which you may then be able to use for your apartment buildings later on. So just get started and match your resources with the best strategy. That's going to be the easiest to start with due to your resources. Perfect. Thanks for that. And how can people get in contact with you or find out more about you? Yeah. So the best way to get in touch with me is probably through Instagram. My Instagram is Martel Antoine. I post a lot of content there. My cell phone number's on there as well. So you can text that number and stuff like that. And then I also have, if you're interested in turnkey rental properties, you can go there too, martelturnkey.com. We have a bunch of rental properties. We can get you up on a phone call too and talk with you about it and see if it would be a good fit. And yeah, 
those two best ways to get in touch with me. Perfect. Well, Antoine, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Investing out of state gives you a lot of opportunities to do a lot of projects at the same time. You're risking a lot less money than if you were to just invest here in the Bay Area. So that means you're going to be able to get a lot of practice and get your systems in place to perform optimally. If you want to create your own turkey operation, one of the first things that you need to do is to work on your team members first. So go on Yelp, find people, call them, and see if you can trust them based on your phone call. You want to look for areas that have potential for growth, and especially where you can see that the city is dedicated to improving itself. So by listening to this episode and following the steps, you should be able to create your own successful turnkey operation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.